0: and welcome. You're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. Salam alaikum, here. Thank you for joining us. Later in this episode, Murs Mir will speak to Muhammad, who is one of the cyclists of the Pedal to Hajj group, who are cycling to Hajj from Kenya for charity. Before that, Afakali and I speak to Salim Barani, winner of our Sacred Spaces competition. Salim is a UK-qualified corporate lawyer by profession, and moved to East Africa from London three years ago with his wife and young family. He also has a travel blog on Instagram called Explore His Bounty. so Salim you were voted winner of our sacred spaces competition by our readers Um, in case people listening are not aware of what the competition was we asked people to send us a description of a space that is sacred to them personally alongside photos as well Um, so Salim could you tell us a bit about what your entry was, in case people are not familiar with it?
1: Um, yeah, firstly, it was, it was, uh, it was an honour to, I guess, have, have won the competition. Um, I'm, I'm truly touched and, and very surprised. And, and thank you, firstly, I guess, to everyone that, that, that participated in the vote. Um, I guess for me, the, the, the sacred space uh, was the, the, the holy site, the holy city of Karbala, and particularly the tomb of Imam Hussein. Um, who most people would know is, is the grandson of the Holy Prophet and for the Shia, the third Imam. Um, he was um, brutally killed um, in the year 61 AH on the 10th of Muharram. And um, the religious um, event that I covered in my um, article was was the day of Arbaeen, which is when I actually there present in the tomb uh, as, as many years as I've, as I've been fortunate. Um, to have gone there I, I've been there so it's a very personal space for me and as well as many millions of people who, who visit it's one of the biggest um, global peaceful gatherings in the world
0: you said you've been a number of times
1: yeah um, I, I, yeah I try to go whenever I get the opportunity um, so I've, I've been a few times um, yeah whenever whenever that opportunity comes it's it's something you just can't can't refuse um, it it's it's really um, a kind of very transformative um, uh, like experience very personal very very spiritual um, it's uh, it, and, and the day of Urbain has literally kind of 15 to 20 million people attending they wow. literally ascend on this very small town um, in Iraq um, which you know you'd you'd when you look at it from an outside perspective you wouldn't even think that it could um, you know, cater for that many people, which is, I guess, one of the kind of miracles, I suppose, as well associated with this, um, this period. Um, the Urbain marks the 40th day, basically. So it was the 20th of Safar back in 61 AH. Um, and the family, um, the, the remaining survivors of the family of, of Imam Hussein, um, traveled back from Damascus to Karbala to pay their respects um, and to bury um, Imam Hussein because, um, he, he, he was just left there on the plains. Um, and and yet yeah, to this day, that tradition has been honored and, and millions of people come from all over Iraq, um, all over the world. In fact, um, you know, I bump into people that have been walking for like 12 days from like Basra. And then you come across Americans, Canadians, people from Kuwait, Dubai. It, it's truly a global, global event. And I don't think it gets, I guess, the, the coverage that it should do, um, given that you know it is one of the biggest peaceful gatherings in the world,
0: yeah, absolutely, um, so I was gonna say, going back to your entry, um so your entry was really well written, like you got your passion across very well, um, but what I wanted to ask is, so talking about sacred spaces themselves, we were not necessarily after like you know mosques or kind of the obvious places, so I wanted to know what was it about this place and this time that you generally visit on. That made it so sacred for yourself.
1: Mm. Um, it's 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 interesting because you know um, you know if you ask someone um, where where their great great grandfather is buried that you know they probably wouldn't even be able to tell you or they probably haven't even visited. Whereas you know this is a man who I guess 13 centuries ago um, who you know I've not met. You know people living now haven't met, and yet we're kind of. I feel that, for me, I'm, I'm almost drawn to this place. Um, it's, it's because, I guess, of the individual. I mean, I can, I'll tell you about the place in a minute when I'm, when I'm sitting there, but what draws me um, kind of whenever I go is, is that I'm, I'm going there to pay my respects to a man who stood for justice, um, for, for social justice, um, against oppression. And, and he saved my faith. I, I, be, I believe that, that had it not been for that stand of Imam Hussein on that day, um, we wouldn't be practicing Islam in the way that we see it today, and and you know, um, so for me, it's almost as if I have a debt to repay, um, and it's to go there and, and basically say, look, I'm I'm here. I, I recognize your your sacrifice, and I'm trying my level best to to um, adhere to you know the, the 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 message that you that you tried to to bring and to honor it and to, to you know cr- create a better relationship with my creator so it's a it's almost like you know you're very busy in the year you know life gets busy and you get distracted and i think for me when i go to urbane and i'm and i'm there in that special place uh, it allows me to almost reconnect with 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 um with my faith with my creator and and really kind of spiritually uh reset almost um and and I think it's because there's so many people there and and they're going for the very same reason I mean nobody goes there for for you know uh for business or for opportunity it's they're going there for the for the same reason to pledge their allegiance and to renew that kind of covenant to say look we, we will better ourselves and we will try to adhere to to your to the teachings uh, the holy teachings of the holy prophet and and islam i guess
2: I was just going to ask a follow up question on that so I'm not sure if you've um, if you've had the the privilege of doing Umrah or Hajj, um, but in terms of comparing, have you been to Medina? Just just curious. Yeah,
1: yeah, I have. So, yeah, I've been
2: for Hajj. So you know, so uh, Subhanallah. So you know, I was just gonna compare if there if there's even a word to compare You know, so like when I whenever I go to Medina, like it reminds me of what you said around reconnecting or or pledging allegiance. Um, so for a lot of people who haven't been to Iraq, who haven't been um to Najaf and, and Karbala and done the ziyara of Imam Hussein and Imam Ali. Um how would you describe the the connecting experience? So people who've been to Medina and they've said salam to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and they've come back with a I think I think just to understand what the feeling is like. So with the Prophet, it's um it's a sense of it's it's going back to the roots, it's going back to the the most important figure. And you come back with a sense of peace, at least for myself and and like you said, reconnecting with Allah in a way. So when you when you go to someone like Imam Hussein and Imam Ali, for example, is it a similar one or is it because the message of the, the idea of justice and f- fighting for against tyranny, is that is that a different social element that you come back with? Is not just peace and, and reconnecting with Islam, but also a sense of I will go back and I will work harder to not only be mm-hmm. a better Muslim but also fight for in yeah. in in whatever way. Against what is wrong, because that's something that, um, from my personal experience, that's not something I associate with Medina, for example. So I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, is that a stronger message from visiting the imams, for example, as you described?
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I agree to, to, to with that because when I when when I went for hajj and I visit, you know, I had the the, the opportunity to visit Medina it's it's a really peaceful place obviously it's you know the the epicenter of our faith you know obviously the holy prophet is is the is the man who brought us our faith so it, it is deeply spiritual and i think it's a really happy you know in some ways it's a very happy experience when you're when you're there in front of the, you know the house of allah and you're succumbulating. you're in awe right it's you're you're divinely connecting you know with your creator you know so when you carry out the hajj rituals which are very formulaic as well, you know, you, you, um, you purify yourself, you come back, you're, you, you know, you go back to um, the haram. So it, it's, um, I think they're two very different experiences that, you know, this, um, going to Karbala, I, it's, it's more, um, I think it's like, uh, yes, the Prophet brought us the religion and Imam, but I feel like when I go to see Imam Hussein, it's, this is the man who revived it. From, you know, it was almost like 50 years after the death of the Prophet. Imagine we have a scenario where the grandson of the Prophet, who, you know, is, is recognized as, as, as a pure soul, who was recognized that, you know, he was um, the son of the Prophet. He was, you know, that's what the Prophet would call him. Um, he would say, Hussein is from me and I am from Hussein. That 50 years after the death of the man who brought us to religion, we have a scenario on the plains of Karbala where, you know, brutal, um, illicit men are trying to butcher him. And, you know in the most heinous barbaric way so and 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 he had to do that he had to go through that for for the everybody to wake up and realize hold on what the hell's going on you know we we have a scenario here where the the per, a perfect being who is the grandson of the prophet we're we're killing him why are we killing him why are we butchering him and his family and family members so it's almost like this is a very sorrowful experience it's i would equate going for hajj is a very um uplifting experience not not to say that this is an uplifting thing but it's it's kind of reminds you of how dangerous it can be for us to kind of um deviate i suppose or um you know disconnect from our faith even though we don't even know it like for example those people who were fighting mam were saying actually hafiz of quran you know they 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 prayed namaz after the, the you know the savage act so it makes you I guess um, internally question yourself and, and it's not just about standing up for oppression externally It's also your internal like for me particularly when I do the walk. It's 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 about repentance Those three so, days are, are, are grueling, right? So it's like I feel so that I'm, what's, what's this walk? I, so what cities do you go to just for people who don't know Zarbayin. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how many days is um, it and um, so how, how long do you walk? Yeah, so so basically we start off in Najaf But basically, on the day of Urbain, everybody has to be or tries to be in Karbala, whether you're in Basra, Najaf, Kazimane, everyone will walk. It's a custom uh, amongst the Iraqi people. They walk from their hometowns towards Karbala. Um, Pilgrims from, from abroad, I guess, traditionally will just land in Najaf and they will start the walk from Najaf. And it takes around three days. So you... Uh, you can do it at your own pace. You can do it leisurely. You could even do it for four, five, six days. But usually when I've done it, it takes about three days, Um, three days of full walking. um, And it's around a hundred kilometers. Yeah. It's around a hundred kilometers. And um, you, you know, there it's literally, I can't even explain the scene. You imagine like a road, uh, a straight road with just a sea of people constantly on it, just walking. And, that's the beauty of this experience. Like, you know, you're walking towards, you know, a tomb of a man you've never met because there's that deep love that resonates within you, that connection that, you know, um, that you want to go there. And, and, and that's what kind of drives people. Um, and, and explaining how you do it, um, you know, you'd think that, okay, well, what about food? Where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to shower? What about amenities and, but that's all covered. Everything is kind of like um, catered for. You have like um, mokibs, um, which are like tents, basically along the highway. So on this road that everybody's walking on the side, there are just mokibs, mokib after mokib after mokib, and they're giving away free food. They're offering uh, mattresses and sleeping bags you to sleep.
0: Who is it to that provides it though? Is it the government?
1: It's literally local people. Um, So I was speaking to one of the... So it's the Iraqi people um, who are like, for the record, I think one of the most hospitable people I've ever encountered in my life. Um, They don't do it for any reward. You don't do it for any money or or monetary value. They're simply doing it to serve you as as a Zawar, as a pilgrim of Imam Hussein. They're doing it completely selflessly. Some of these people I've spoken to, they save up their whole year just to be able to uh, provide the service. I think, no doubt, there's also government funding. I'm sure there's, there's government funding as well um, um, from from Iran and, and from Iraq as well. And just you, anything you need. I mean, literally, they'll be shouting from a tannoy, uh, you know, pilgrims, pilgrims, come. I, I want to give you food. I want to give you water. Uh, come sleep. Sleep here. They'll massage you. They see you tired and walking for three days in the desert heat they will with a backpack and whatever they'll stop you and they'll massage your leg and your feet and tell you to rest and to be honest they even get offended if you don't it's it's really bizarre like yeah. if they feel like they want to serve you and and if you say no or refuse that date or sandwich or that you know whatever food they're giving you um, they'll yeah they'll take great offense and um, you have to love Muslim hospitality. You just can't say no. Do you know
2: this is this is so interesting? It reminds me so much of the old Hajj programmage. It's how really, it used that's to be. Exactly
0: Absolutely. what I was
2: thinking. Because yeah, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I've been I've been reading up on um, how the Ottomans used to manage the Hajj programmage for people coming from north and south um so if you if you're coming from turkey which is when the ottomans were ruling they had the same setup they would have people um well, that was state sponsored the ottomans would pay for it but it sounds sounds exactly the same but something that stole mm-hmm. so if you want to experience the old hajj Go to arbaeen. That sounds that but sounds like a in, really good idea even to in me. the Just... time
0: of Haruna Rashid it would have, it was actually a similar thing because there was a Hajj route all the way from Baghdad to Mecca um and then there were provisions for pilgrims all along the way. Um and I know that even today there are excavations, I'm not sure exactly where, but on various places along the route, and they've uncovered wells and things like that, which again were there um, purely for the pilgrims. But I think we should definitely mm. do an episode on this because mm. there's just something so timeless about it all. Because these are traditions that have been going on. For
1: yeah, centuries. absolutely. I mean, like, there was just <laughs> um...
2: fun fun fact. um You mentioned Harun Rashid for people who don't know. he was it was an um uh, Abbasid uh, Caliph, who's actually buried next to Imam Raza, who's the who's the tenth oh, uh, Shia yeah. Imam. So just a, a funny connection. But anyway, go yeah. on.
1: So there was this elderly um, gentleman who like so they they love you as well. The, the fact that you're a foreigner, um, that you're not Iraqi, uh, it just amazes them as well, right? Because they're like, where are you from? And you and then you say to them, you're from London or from the UK you know, it just excites them even more. So, for example, there was an elderly man who I bumped into um, along this way. I was, I was in his mokib, and they were we were resting there. And, you know, he said to me, through a translator, um, he was basically saying, look, oh, you know, pray for me when you when you go back to London. And I was like, well, you know, you live in the Holy Land of Iraq. Yeah, exactly. So I'd be like, no, you should be remembering me. And I, don't, I just I never forget the look on on his face. and And, you know, he was really tearful and he said to me through the translator kind of like words the effect of that no 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 it's your du'as that are accepted given that you've come from this foreign land and you've traveled such great distance to do this ziara you know and and i just just speechless you know it's it's um, a very altruistic experience you know the fact that they just want to look after you to make sure you're comfortable that you can do the ziarat and for them that is that is all they want because Nothing can can compensate them for that privilege and that honor. They're almost, you know, you know, yeah. I think it's it's, it's a really special experience. So
0: within Iraq itself, is Arbaeen something that only Shia communities take part in, or um, is it something everybody takes part in?
1: No, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, sorry, as in the sense that it's it is for everybody. You know, Imam Hussein is is not just for Shia Muslims. He he is for. For Muslims globally, firstly, and then because obviously he, he, he revived the religion. He, he, his stand is, is one that all Muslims, uh, you know, should be, um, would be acknowledging. Um, but also going outside of the Muslim school, uh, even Christians partake in this experience. Um, that when you get to the actual tomb, there are um, constant kind of jealousies like of uh, of people coming into the tomb with flags and and banners and and there's a Christian contingency that comes in, um, Sunni Muslims as well have, uh, are known as well to to have you know deep respect for for Imam Hussein obviously being the grandson of the Prophet and um, his status, um, so they also participate in this walk, um, and they look after the pilgrims, um, Jewish people of Jewish faith. In fact, I was just um, interesting reading up the other day that there's a, there was actually Hindu Hindus as well that have deep um, affection and affinity towards Imam Hussein's message. Um, they they also uh, there was a Indian spiritual leader by the name of Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who in 2007 actually attended the tomb and and, and paid his respects. Um, you know because oh, the message. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to the message. The message of Imam Hussein is not something that is limited to a specific sect or a specific religion. It's a global message of of standing up for your rights, of 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 dignity, of social justice. And you know, people like Gandhi, Nelson Mandela have, have been quoted um, uh, and learned from Imam Hussein's actions that they found victory in defeat, and that's that's what it was, right? Like Imam Hussein, whilst he was killed on that day. His message look, 13 centuries later still lives on, and and so that's testimony to that.
2: Just just one, I guess, maybe a slightly personal question. So, if you could, if you could describe in a few words why this place would would you say, other than the obvious, we we can now understand why it's a sacred space for you and for millions of people. But what makes this place the most sacred for you? Not not in the, in the outwardly way. Um, you already explained briefly that you know you come out with a sense of justice and there's a connection. Um, but if you had to pick other places, but why? Why? Why does this one win for you? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. Um, you know, my wife always um, she's always saying like, uh, why do we always go in this particular time? Why do we always go in urbain Because it is the busiest time, right? It's it's fifty twenty million people ascending. There's no space when you get into Karbala. Like you, you know, it's it's very tight and 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 chaotic, and it takes. Sometimes even an hour to actually get into the tomb, um, and she'll say, "Why don't we go off peak, like you know, any other time of the year where there's hardly anyone, and you can, you know, um, have more time?" and And I always, I always say, "No, I, for me, it's, it's, it's like I guess um, comparing it to something like uh, the World Cup or something like that. You know, if you go to a football stadium and it's just empty, and you have the perfect, fine, you'll have the perfect view. You're in the front row." Whereas you compare that to kind of being in the final, where it's like the biggest game of the year, and you're even if you're right at the back and you don't even see the scoreline or the or the players, you won't really care, right? Because it's the atmosphere, you know, um, just being a part of that atmosphere and and seeing millions of people around you, you know. Pleading their, pledging their allegiance, um, sorrowful, um, raising their hands and and saying that look, we are here, Hussein, we're here to honor your pledge. It's that that overwhelms. It's the unity, me, right?
2: It's the unity. It, it just makes yeah. sense. It comes back to mm-hmm. Islam is a religion of brotherhood and unity, and I think that's it, right? you you, you need to be with the prophet wasn't alone you know he he wanted us to be together it makes it's beautiful it makes so much sense
1: yeah yeah absolutely and even even when it is that packed, and as i said in the article that i wrote when i'm sitting there at the back i I can, I can just about catch a glimpse of of the tomb and and you know you can hear just it's chaotic in in the haram on that day it's um understandably but i just feel a deep sense of 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 peace in my in my heart you know it's you know, it's it's un, I can't describe it, but it's it's that euphoria inside me that really really makes me think the next day that look, God, you know, I, I I will pray. I'll be like, look, please don't make this the last time that I'm here. And you know, if I have the opportunity and and the health, and I can afford it, please bring me back next year. You know, it's I don't know what I would do if I don't return. And you know, I can't contemplate or fathom not being there on that day next year being in in the uk or somewhere else I, it would just crush me i think and 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 i think if you talk to other people um they'll testify to the same once someone has gone and experienced this they themselves will say yep i can understand it now i know why you you, you or you'll go back because it just it takes over you know it's it's a real real spiritual and physical experience that is deeply deeply sacred i think
0: yeah that's really beautiful um you know with regards to Iraq itself you know the kind of immediate association you have with it especially in the last 10-15 years is of war and upheaval Um, but from what you're telling us that's not really the impression I'm getting Um, and clearly there are outsiders like yourself who are traveling there regularly Um, so yeah I just wanted to ask what are your thoughts on that like is that safe for us to do?
1: yeah absolutely I think um, it's quite funny when I when I was going a few years back um, for the first time and uh, I was at work uh, and uh, when I told my colleagues you know this was kind of in 2009 I think was the first time I went and um, you know at that time it was quite fresh right it was it was after Saddam Hussein being toppled and uh, you know it, it was um, like whoa you're going to Iraq you know like it was it, it was just Strange. No one could fathom it. Like, why would you do that? It's not safe, you know. But I can honestly tell you that, yes, I'm I'm here to tell the story. It is perfectly safe, um, and um, there are no issues. You can fly in internationally and land in Najaf, um, and then you can walk. Um, you know, I, I have even landed in Baghdad before, and there was obviously there's a lot of security, but I think the southern side of um Iraq uh, is very heavily protected and even then after that ISIS came and then again I would go and my colleagues would be like, well, um, okay well you you know you do realize that there's kind of a war going on and, but you know I'll be honest with you to me that was secondary um you know I, it didn't it doesn't even register that that's a, a worry because I just feel like I'm going to such an amazing place that I, I'm firstly I'm, I'm willing to to take that risk so be it but honestly I can tell you that those times when I've been there even during the ISIS period and post ISIS period, there is no issue. Um, it's obviously protocols and and safety checks are in place. Like there's a lot of security checks that you go through. Um, there's a lot of military presence, uh, which is understandable given that it was a war zone and st- to some degree still is. But yeah, for safety perspective, fifteen to twenty million people are there on that day, and uh, to my knowledge, I've I've not heard of a scenario. You know, touch wood and, um, and may it always be the case that um, anything has happened. Although there have been some very isolated events of some, I think some coaches were targeted, um, but not not in Karbala or Najaf, but in another area called Samara, uh, which is uh, I think uh, a more dangerous um, place. There are certain Imams uh, of the Shi'a faith that are buried there. So that particular pilgrimage is is a bit kind of um, discouraged or you have to be very careful. Um, Qasmeen and and Baghdad and and Samarra. Those areas are a bit more. In fact, there was obviously in Samarra there was. I don't know if you recall, but there was a uh, a destruction of the tomb of of Imam Imam al Imam al Hassan al askari which is the eleventh Imam um, of the Shi'as, and Imam al Jawad. Um, so that, that that was destroyed, um, and I can't remember the exact year. Um, but since then, it's been rebuilt. Um, so that was that's obviously a uh, kind of uh, more troubled area, but as far as Karbala and Najaf are concerned, uh, heavily protected and and there are no issues. Um, yeah,
0: you know, I have to say, I found this conversation really educational in the sense that I don't think I really ever understood what Arbaeen was about before. Um, but you know, from everything you've described, it just sounds really beautiful. It just sounds like people with you know, an inc- incredible amount of faith and love for Imam Hussein coming together. Um, and, you know, I hope it kind of goes some way into removing some of the stigma that exists regarding Shia practice, because, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, that stigma is there and it kind of prevents people from really trying to understand, if that makes sense.
1: Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it does make sense. And, and, and I think that's why I'm even more kind of, um, you know, really happy to be on this podcast with you and and even with the article that it for me it you know, I feel like because I have such deep connection and and love for imam hussein and and visiting his shrine, I feel like I wanted to share that, you know with, with as many people as possible and yeah. and and this gives that opportunity and and it, like you said it, those misconceptions that. You know, uh, and and both ways between, both, you know, various sexes. there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of things that we monopolize or, or not. But but yeah, I mean, I can't highlight this enough, that, you know, for people that are listening to this that, and if they, you know, are not aware of this event to, to really do some research. You know, a really good website, for example, is org that has a lot of information on there. Um, but the bottom line is that this is not a, a sectarian issue, it's not a, you know, uh, it's a human issue. It's, it's basically a revolution that changed and collapsed a tyrannical uh, dictatorship.
0: Before we wrap up, I have one final question for you. Um, could you tell our listeners why you think it's so important to visit sacred spaces?
1: Religion is important, and yes, you can go to the Maldives and you know all these amazing places. But these places, like going to Iran, going to Syria, going to Iraq, going to Mecca, going to Medina, uh, they're obviously like paramount, right? They're they're the bedrock of, of where our faith comes. So we should definitely make an attempt and an effort to to use our annual leave. Sparingly, we, you know, to, to go to these places as well because it's, it's, it, um, it, you know, I think like with pilgrimage, they
0: recharge you, right? Yes, so like yes. you said, you come back with a renewed sense of your faith. Mm, what could be more important than yes. that?
1: Exactly, like you, you know, you can be there in Makkah and you, you know, you're standing there and you're like, this is the house of God, and you, you know, you. You, you rejuvenate yourself and you realize that, look, hold on, I'm, I'm how, how ashamed am I to be here, firstly? Yeah. Because you've done X, Y, Z and whatever. And, and and you always, you know, you make your promises for reformation. And, and like, you know, even when when you break things down and you look at like um, the the philosophical side of it, like, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to mention this on, on this occasion, but when I think about that walk, it's... And, and I'll tell you about Hajj uh, as well, but the walk, it's like, I find it as... Um, Kind of uh, representative of life, you know. You're on this road, and you have an aim, and the aim is to get to Hussein at the end. Um, and um, you don't have any provisions with you because you, you know, everything is looked after. And you know, you come across hurdles and challenges, and it's really tough. And you're maybe one morning when you wake up at crack of dawn to start, you're down. Uh, sometimes you're like, no, yeah, you can do it. And so it's it's very much like you know. Um, and then when you look at Hudge, for life. example. Yeah, and when you look at Hajj, it's the same, like you're, you know, you're cast away from Mashal Haram, you're told, nope, go, uh, you know, relinquish, vanquish your sins, purify yourself, then you're asked to come back and, you know, uh, carry on the Hajj rites, and so there's a lot of philosophy behind these, you know, people say they're ritualistic acts, you know, you could, the, the external person may say, the observer may say well this is very ritualistic you're going to a to a shrine where there's just a hunk of metal because uh, the shrines basically have like a a metal frame right so you're going to see this metal frame and you're going to touch it and and they're looking at it from a very physical perspective but the spiritual side of it and the philosophical side of it is 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 what they're not appreciating and that's what people need to start okay. understanding that these yeah. places have a deep profound impact on our hearts and our souls, especially when we're surrounded by, you know, um, routine and, and time where we don't get to reflect. And I guess Ramzan is is a time where you do have, you know, you almost take that time out. So for me, going to going to Ziyarat is is that time out, and it's like a spiritual top up. You know, like it's like um, I just dedicate ten days to sitting there, to, you know, to reading Quran, praying namaz, um, acts of worship and reflection. And I guess we don't have that in our day to day routine.
0: Completely. I think that might actually be the perfect place to end it, literally, on the definition of a sacred space. Um, thank you so much, Salim, for joining us. And as I mentioned earlier, Salim has um, a blog on Instagram called Explore His Bounty. So be sure to check that out. <laughs> So before we finish off, Mwazim spoke to one of the cyclists from the Pedal to Hajj group who are cycling all the way from Kenya to Mecca in order to raise funds for the education of children in Nairobi. They have 45 days to get there in time for Hajj, so their journey has actually already begun, and they're documenting the whole thing on Instagram so you can watch it there. Mwazim spoke to Muhammad before they set off on the journey talking about their preparations.
3: basically what pedal to hajj team is is uh, a bunch of guys mm-hmm. we we came together and we said you know what uh, let's do something let's do something different but let's do it for a cause i mean we we were friends in nairobi we are about uh, two guys here in nairobi who we cycle normally we cycle together mm-hmm. but uh, other than that we said okay let's let's come up with something let's do something let's do something different you know mm-hmm. something uh, something that will help humanity you know that that will uh, that will count for us as sadaqatul Jari at the same time so Inshara. yes yes mm-hmm.
4: so that is that is pedal to hajj that is how pedal to hajj started so um, you said you cycle together with your friends. Are you? But you're not. You're not professional cyclists. Are, are no, I am
3: not a professional cyclist. Uh, I'm. I'm just a weekend warrior. That's what. <laughs> say. Inshallah. Yeah, a weekend warrior. That's that we recycle we on weekends and just an avid cyclist. But Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, through that. Uh, yeah, yeah.
4: So you you said you're you're a team of three people. We're actually a team of four. Tell me about so. so tell me about um, sort of your route and sort of your um, your, your journey. Have you? I mean, uh, to tell me more. Where where do you where do you plan on 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 start starting the cycling? Which which country are you going to go through first? And I mean, uh, tell me about your route that you've planned out. Our route is
3: going to be basically from uh, Nairobi, Nairobi mm-hmm. to to Ethiopia, mm-hmm. Ethiopia to Sudan. Mm-hmm. Sudan. From Sudan, we are going to catch a ferry, uh, going into Jeddah, inshallah,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: across uh, the Red Sea. Across the Red Sea, that is going to be about twelve hours journey across mm-hmm. the Red Sea into Jeddah, inshallah. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at about uh, three thousand five hundred kilometers. Oh, subhanallah. Yes, from Kenya to Saudi Arabia, inshallah. Oh, inshallah, we are planning to cover at least a hundred kilometers on a daily basis. Oh, so so yeah so that is about thirty five days but we have extra ten days just in case you know there are days that you're tired and you can't cycle and you just need to rest so we have extra ten days leeway.
4: Mm-hmm. oh subhanallah so i mean i can only imagine now i mean because i've never done this but i've, I've always thought about like long distance runners and uh, you know long distance cyclists um if i can ask what happens in the i mean how how much do you sleep when you're when you're doing when you're doing the cycling uh do you do you have anywhere in mind to stop when you want to rest or do you just stop wherever you can um uh, uh, what do you do about food like do you have do you have a backup team
3: Alhamdulillah, we've got a backup team, we've got uh, a one-line cruiser with us, and uh, we have uh, two brothers who are going to be our support team. Mm-hmm. that uh you know they are going to be hand- medical aid and stuff exactly yeah they're going to be handling our our nutrition and our our gear and everything mm-hmm. and uh they're also going to be handling our extra extra equipments for like our bicycles and everything so alhamdulillah mm-hmm. uh in that uh, that aspect we are covered and when it comes to rest um, rest Mm -hmm. we we have to rest as much as possible because you see this thing again at the end of the day if you don't rest well then uh with this there's there's a term we 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 say bonking
4: Bonking.
3: yeah bonking when you're riding yeah Mm -hmm. uh when that hits you then that is it if you're not rest well you have not had your nutrition well you've not hydrated properly then Mm -hmm. when that hits you that is it you're in trouble
4: so do you have somewhere to do you have somewhere to rest? Like, do you have a do you have like a, a moving tent with you, or um, have you contacted perhaps um, uh, bed and breakfasts or hot hostel hostels or, along the way uh, that will be hosting you? How how do you or are you going to sleep in the in the car? Yeah. Alhamdulillah,
3: we've been fortunate enough to be able to do a road recce. Mm-hmm. We we went to I think two two weeks two three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We went uh, we drove all the way to Port Sudan. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to look at the route. Uh, what are options on the route? Do we have mm-hmm. a place to sleep? Do we have a place to eat? Uh, you know, do we have uh, emergency, emergency? You know, if if anything happens, may God forbid, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, hospitals, like police
4: stations, like you know, things like that. So you've prepared for these to- these type of emergencies and sort of unexpected events already and stuff. Yes, we have, we have, but also at the same time we are also
3: prepared for uh something you know okay we might we might get somewhere and uh, maybe we can not continue so we have mm-hmm. our tents we have everything prepared with us in case of a an, name any emergency we can even just you know have a bush camp
4: and what is your experience like because i mean i can i enjoy the outdoors and i enjoy you know nature but i can only imagine cycling through all this um you know all the scenery and the flora and fauna and you know the changing landscape, the different languages. But it's the one thing that's constant. It's, it's just you on the road and you're you're passing through and you you just see the you just you just see the world change. For anybody who's driven to another country, you can you can always tell oh I've I've entered somewhere new now because the culture seems different. And you know what is your experience with this? It must be very. Um, I mean what have you what have you experienced so far that that must be really beautiful about this like I can only imagine that like you've seen a lot on the road yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay, it's uh, I I can say that uh, it's it's a bit challenging. It's yeah, uh, it's mm-hmm. not as
3: uh, as uh, beautiful and easy as it sounds. Yeah, it's yeah. not a very tourist perhaps. <laughs> exactly, exactly <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, we we are going to be cycling and we we have mm-hmm. uh, we have a goal and we have a target. It's not like, you know, we we are just cycling for the sake like, you know, if we get tired, we can just spend like a week in this town or two weeks oh, in yeah. this town. It's not that for us. You know, for us, we we have to get to Saudi Arabia, inshallah, in time for Hajj. For Hajj, yes. Yes. And we have a very small window mm -hmm. for that. So we have to be, we have to just keep on hammering all the way, hammering all the way, you know, for us to make it on time.
4: And um, so, I mean, this this must be like, I mean, when did you start? When did you start uh, the training? We started training
3: for this a year back.
4: A year, it's been so it's been a year so far. So you've been planning this for so long and you've been uh, preparing for it mentally, physically, psychologically. How do you feel like this experience so far? I mean, because I can only I, I'm looking forward to interviewing you after the, the, the Hajj because I'm sure there's, the the, reader, the listeners will be so keen on hearing what happens. How has this changed you so far in life? Do you feel like a different man? Uh, one thing i'll say is first of all i've lost a lot of weight
3: (laughs) that's 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 a good part about it but other than that uh, it has made me be very disciplined because like you see when when you're doing something like this you have to be very disciplined your your workout time your your nutrition everything must be on point you see so in a, in a way it's it's changed me a lot it's changed me a lot alhamdulillah
4: oh, Subhanallah. and um let's uh let's wrap up because i i want this one to be shorter than inshallah when we when we come back we can talk about your experience and uh, the experience of your teammates and what you expected and what the result was but let me end with one last question uh, brother are you ready for hajj then
3: inshallah i am uh, I'm, inshallah. I'm ready for this i'm ready for this
4: MashaAllah, MashaAllah. And may, may Allah make it easy for you and may Allah make it make it successful. And um, uh, please, um, we'll all remember you in our du'as and please remember us as you travel to Hajj. I mean, I will, I will.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As always, all of the links, everything we've mentioned can be found in the show notes, including a donation link if you'd like to donate towards the cyclist's cause. Always check your government's foreign travel advice before setting off to a new country.